0: The following broadcast is produced by Brookside Meeting House Companies, LLC, doing business as Forget-Me-Not Ancestry. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. I'm Jane Wilcox and this is the Forget-Me-Not-Hour. Your ancestors want their stories to be told. Welcome to the show. This morning we are going to be talking about New York probate records and my guest is Gordon Remington. I knew of Gordon uh, through his reputation as an expert uh, genealogist in especially New York genealogy and I was thinking what topic for New York have I not covered yet on the Forget Me Not Hour? And it was very obvious, probate records. Uh, So I knew Gordon had written a book uh, called New York State Probate Records, A Genealogist's Guide to Testate and Intestate Records. And uh, so then invited uh, Gordon to come on to the show to talk about the book and then also what's new in the world of New York uh, probate online uh, since the book was published. So Gordon, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, Jane. I'm pleased to be here.
0: It's great to have you here. So as I ask all of my guests uh, at the beginning of the show, uh, tell us about your background, where you were born, raised, your education, your careers.
1: Well, Jane, I was actually born in New York State in the Rochester, New York area, so out in western New York. I graduated high school there, went to the U of R for a year, and then uh, moved out to Utah in uh, 1979, finished my degree in Utah in history, and uh, finally finished it in 1984, nine years after I started college. But uh, then I decided to to be – I just moved to Utah to become a professional genealogist.
0: And so you've been doing professional genealogy since you uh, graduated?
1: Actually, I I did not graduate college in New York. When I came here, I still had a year and a half to go, so I established residency in Utah and worked as a genealogist at the same time as I was going to school. And I found, finally, by combining work and school, I graduated in 1984, all the time working as a genealogist.
0: Wow. And getting wow. my so you, yeah. So you've established your New York expertise uh, in Salt Lake City.
1: Well, actually, yes. When I came here and I told people I was from New York, they all said, oh, that's a terrible place. I said, oh, you're thinking of the city. I'm from upstate New York. You <laughs> know, uh, Sorry, city folk. Um, but they said, no, it's a terrible place for research. Well, they thought New York was part of New England, and we should have the same vital records in New York as they do in New England. Well, that challenged me to develop New York as a specialty. I lived in New York for 22 years, and I never had to use New York records on my own family. We've been there since 1821 excuse me, 1817 in western New York, and it was all written down. I never had to go to a courthouse. I never had to do anything more than go to a cemetery. So I took that as a challenge to learn as much about New York as possible, and it also was an opportunity for me to get travel back to New York to do research, where I still have family in those days. Okay. All right. Very good. And so that's why I I developed New York as a specialty.
0: All right. And then how did you get interested in genealogy?
1: Well, uh, my mom, my mother knew that she had Mayflower Compact ancestry, and she had a list, and every Thanksgiving she'd bring them out and read them to us. And then I just got hooked. I found one of those mug book biographies of my great-grandfather in our family library, and he was president, national president of the SAR in 1925, and he knew more about his ancestry than anybody at that time. And he he had this three-page history of the Remington family. And I was just fascinated. I never I could never think of a Remington being around in the 1700s. It just didn't occur to me. I was already interested in history. But I was 10 years old, and I couldn't grasp those concepts. So I just was hooked. And from there on, I just developed it as a hobby. And all through my junior high and high school days, I'd spent Saturdays in the Rochester Public Library, which was mostly New England and New York books. In those days, there wasn't a lot of microfilm. <laughs> and so I just... just kept going at it, you know, until I got, then in in 1978, some friends of mine from New York had moved out to Denver and said, Hey, there's lots of jobs out here. So I moved out. Well, they were all in construction. There were lots of construction jobs, but that wasn't what I was into. So I lived in Denver for about eight months. And during that time, uh, I believe it was Texas international airlines had a $60 round trip flight to Salt Lake. And I'd been to Salt Lake before, book just a little bit, I started flying over to Salt Lake from Denver and just spending the day in the library on the weekend and coming back. And I said, "Well, really, Salt Lake's a nice city. Maybe I'll move here and try and do this as a living. And, and then uh, I did. So uh, that's how I got here and how I began to be a professional.
0: Oh, very good. I, I think you're my first guest, uh, who's a professional genealogist, who set his course uh, shortly after college or, or in school to be a professional genealogist. Everybody else has done something else and then, and then made their way to professional genealogy. So th- this is very cool.
1: Well, actually, Jane, when I got here, I didn't know anybody. I thought I'd have to build up a clientele at night and work a regular day job. When I got here, there was actually an ad in the newspaper for a genealogist. So I, I, the guy thought he'd made his choice, but I went down and took his test. And he said, oh, boy, I thought I knew who I was going to hire, but you, you scored higher on this test. The job's yours if you want it. That was the day after I arrived. I got a <laughs> job as a professional genealogist, and it's been that way ever since. That was uh, 37 years ago this September.
0: Yeah. Wow, wow. Oh, very nice. So yeah, our topic today is New York probate records. Um, will you start us uh, with a, a brief overview of the history of probate in New York? We've got... Uh, basically three periods, the Dutch colonial, English colonial, and then statehood.
1: Okay, well, that's pretty easy to do. In fact, it's it's the first part of my book on New York Proway Records. It's all about that history before the state records came into existence. So the Dutch, of course, were there in in the early 1600s, and they had a totally different legal system than the English did. So um, the Dutch actually could record their wills before they died. And oftentimes married couples would record their wills together just to make sure there were no disputes over their settlement, the settlement of their estates. So what you have to watch out for in the Dutch period is thinking somebody's dead before the will is probated when and oftentimes, I mean, recorded. Oftentimes the recording may have been several years before their death. And um, it's a nice system uh, once you get used to it. You can't draw conclusions based on recording dates of this. The other nice thing about the Dutch uh, uh, orphan's records, they had what they actually called an orphan's court or orphan masters in the Netherlands, who were concerned with orphan children, uh, in different things like guardianships and things like that, apprenticeships. And so that groundwork was laid for uh, guardian courts, guardianship records in the, York, in the Dutch period. The other good thing about the Dutch records is um, that. Even though they're all in Dutch, the original ones, all of them, or mostly all of them, have been translated in several different works over the years. And I cover those works in my book. Uh, Book format and, um, yeah, mostly book format. A lot of those books, the earlier ones, can be available online if they're out of copyright. (laughs) So then next, uh, after the Dutch, the English took over uh, New Netherland from the Dutch in 1664 and then again in 1672. And the English established a system whereby everything in New York colony, New York province, was recorded at New York City. um, All probate records. So if you're looking for wills for people up the Hudson Valley, you're going to find them in New York City, not necessarily in Dutchess or Albany counties. The exception there is a few towns on one island, which were settled by English people from New England, kept some probate records in the town records. Then after the revolution in 1787, uh, the surrogate system was established in New York. Now, the, the reason it's called surrogates, technically the governor of New York is the chief probate officer but obviously the governor can't be everywhere. And so his surrogates are in each County of New York that handle the day-to-day business of estates and probates and things. And that is a state office. It's ruled by state law, even though the surrogates court you may find in the County courthouse, it will have the seal of the state of New York on there. And they, um, can establish the fees that you pay. And we'll get into that a little bit later. Um, but basically, uh, the surrogates court is important for a couple of reasons. One is not only are there recorded wills and administrations, but there's usually what we call a probate packet, which contains all sorts of loose papers. And uh, among those loose papers, the most important of which in the county uh, surrogates offices are called probate petitions. Beginning in the 1830s, uh, every estate, whether it's a will or administration had to have a petition presented to the surrogate for the probate or administration of that estate listing all of the heirs at law to that estate. Even if there was a will um, and they were mentioned, they had to listen all of them because there might have been children who were left out. And that had to be published in the newspaper, that petition, so that anyone who had wanted to contest the will could come forward and do so.
0: all right and then um there was also i'm, I'm trying to think in eighteen thirty uh something else that uh, was required by law uh well, I'm and that was, the petition. Uh, it, it, and actually and i'm and i'm thinking um that the state required all records to be saved
1: oh yes, yeah. Yeah, and, and in many cases they have survived, of course, that with, the, with the ravages of time and fires and floods and things like that. There are some that have not survived, but it's a fairly good collection. Um, and that includes the colonial records that I discuss in, um, in my book um, from the pre-1787 period. All of those records are now at the State Library in Albany, State Library and Archives in Al-Carsen, Albany, and almost all of them have been printed. The pre-1787 provincial records kept by the New York Surrogates Court, New York City Surrogates Court, or County Surrogates Court, actually are located now in Albany. But that's one of those things. Is you, if you're doing colonial research, you should look more in New York County and New York State archives for colonial records from all over the province. Don't look in the county itself. You really won't find much before
0: 1787. Okay. All right. And then what types of records were generated uh, in each of the periods? That, that From what I understand, could be different from other colonies or states.
1: Well, in the Dutch period, I've explained that um, there were wills that could be recorded before the people died. They were excellent orphans records. Um, All those Dutch records have been translated and are easily obtainable. In the English period, from 1664 uh, on to 1787, uh, everything was recorded at New York City, and that includes administrations and, um, and and wills. There also is a set of records that were recorded, that were transferred up to Albany from New York City that are a separate record group. Historically, if you look at several volumes, they say Albany or New York, but they actually are all the same group of records, and they're all up in the... Um, up in Albany now and my book one of the things my book does is it carefully goes over that colonial period and compares what's been published for those colonial records and then gives the equivalent FHL call numbers film numbers for those different records so if you want to look at an original record to see what if it's and it says anything different from what's been printed or if there have been mistakes or whatever You can access those films at the Family History Library. And my book actually guides you from taking a printed probate record from the colonial period and finding the film that it's on at the Family History Library. And again, most of those films, we'll get into this a little bit later, have now been imaged on FamilySearch.org. Okay. All
0: right. And then how about for the uh, surrogates period after 1787? What types of records um, might might
1: we find? Well, the surrogates, uh, what you'll find is in each county, I think they refer to them as packets, either probate packets or estate packets. Um, And they're basically all the loose papers that would have been filed within the state. They're important because while a will may have been recorded, the original will might have differences in it. And, again, you have that all-important which lists all of the heirs. I want to give a little, a couple of things on that probate petition. Is Sometimes the person who's presenting it is kind of interested in maybe not saying exactly who all the heirs are. And so you might see something like went west and was never heard from again. And, and, the, and the petitions were supposed to be published in a newspaper of record in New York State to give the chance to anybody who was an heir, because it would list all the heirs in their supposed residences to come forward. But somebody out in the gold mine or gold fields of uh, California might not see that. It went west and was never heard from again. And it it was a way of cutting somebody out without, you know, really doing it. But I want to, one of the most, one one of the most interesting petitions I ever ran across was in 1835. as a guy in uh, central New York, who was 90 years old, he died uh, intestate, he only had a widow, he had no children, and his probate petition ran for five pages listing all his nieces and nephews and grandnieces and nephews. Um, And he was the second son, or excuse me, the last son of a man born in the 1690s. So what you had in these five pages was basically the descendants of a man who was living in the 1690s as of 1835 down all those generations who were listed as the heirs of this, this one person who died without children. That is the most amazing one I've ever seen. Yeah.
0: Wow. Wow. That, that is uh, really neat. I, I also wanted to mention when you were talking about uh, heirs being left out uh, or uh, going West, Harold Henderson uh, has an article in the New York genealogical and biographical record in which he proves that a uh, daughter was left out of the probate petition. And then he, he sets the argument uh, explaining how this woman who went to Illinois, I believe was actually a daughter of this man who died and was not listed among the heirs.
1: Yep. yep unfortunately you see that sometimes that, um, If if they hadn't heard from somebody in a long time, they just wrote them off, you know. (laughs) But we don't know what happened to them, yeah.
0: Yep, yep. So what inspired you to write the book, uh, New York State Probate Records?
1: Well, as you you pointed out, it was published by New England Historic and Society, and they had approached me originally in about the year 1990-something, the middle 1990s, to write a, a research guide for the entire state. Now, as you well know, New York has just come out with their own massive research guide, and it took more than one person to write that guide. So I was struggling for several years to get everything that they wanted. I would pretty much completed the probate records chapter. So they finally said, well, look, let's just go with what you've got. And so we published a book on New York State probate records instead of the book that was supposed to be a guide to the entire state. And uh, that's what came off. Uh, Eventually, I expanded the book uh, from my my chapter in this bigger book um, that never got published. And um, that allowed me to expand on probate Records in more detail. Now, that original edition was published in 2002. And that was done on, they wanted a a, a camera-ready copy from my own computer. And that's why it looks like it's from somebody's home computer. Then in twenty, um, I guess about 2010, maybe 2009, they approached me to do a second edition of this book. And because of so much, had become available online and in other places, and it did need to change. And then they took over the production of the um, actual the graphics and everything in the book. They put the maps in for all the different counties and things and added things. And I worked very closely with New England to make that a prettier book with essential information in it that was also in, in the first edition, and some and, and much more, too. Um, a lot of things have changed since 2002 to 2009.
0: Okay. All right. And we're going to talk about uh, what you did include in your book. Um, first, we're going to take a break. This is the Forget-Me-Not Hour. Your ancestors want their okay. stories to be told, and we'll be right back. All right. This is the Forget-Me-Not Hour. Your ancestors want their stories to be told. As you're listening on Blog Talk Radio, you will see a like button. Uh, if you uh, press that, uh, you will receive an email letting you know that the show is going on the air, what the topic is, and who the guest is. Uh, you're also going to see a lot of social media buttons. Uh, please uh, share the Forget Me Not Hour with your friends and family on uh, social media. Uh, you'll also find the Forget Me Not Hour archives on uh the blog talk page uh, we have over five years of wonderful shows and many of them are timeless and uh, will research um, so please take advantage of the archive and you'll also find uh, the forget me not hour on itunes uh, so you can take the show on the road uh, with you uh, it's under jane e wilcox and today we are talking about New York probate records. My guest is Gordon Remington. And so, Gordon, we've been talking about your book, uh, New York State Probate Records: A Genealogist's Guide to Testate and in Intestate Records. Uh, so, what you've mentioned some things that you've included in the book. So, so give us a kind of a general uh, idea of of what we're going to find in the book.
1: Well, as you uh, read that title again, it reminded me. There's one thing I wanted to explain. For those who might be new to, to this kind of research is testate records, probate records, are uh, records of wills where someone actually leaves a will that leaves specific things to specific heirs. In records are when someone dies without a will, but they have enough of an estate to be divided among the heirs, and that's where you would get an administration on the estate, And both of those records are equally valuable, especially in New York State after 1830, because both sorts of estates, testate and intestate, require that all-important petition listing all of the heirs. As for the book, um, yes, the the LDS films I mention in the book are merely an inventory of what's in the library. So, for instance, um, I will list uh, in in the back section of the book, which was county-by-county records, I will list the types of records available because there are lots of different types of probate records and the years they cover uh, that are at the Family History Library. That's valuable for a couple of reasons. One, it tells you what's available so you don't have to go hunting for your specific type of record in the Family History Library catalog It'll help you navigate what FamilySearch has on uh, their website of the imaged uh, probate records from New York. So. It, Somebody, in the first edition, they said, why didn't you put all the film numbers in? Well, that would have increased the size of the book tenfold. So just know it's an inventory of what's available so you understand what you have access to on film. Um, Also, uh, what what I've included in the book besides the films is uh, references to published material in books and periodicals. There's a great periodical for upstate New York called Tree Talks out of Central New York Genealogical Society and this group of people began abstracting records at courthouses in the 1960s and every issue of their their journal is has abstracts from different records and a lot of probate records that they did in that time period and that uh, Tree Talks is available in most libraries or it can be accessed and my book actually gives you the volume and page of Tree Talks as well as other periodicals, that's the most common one, uh, and the type of record, so that if you don't have it in your library, you can maybe access it elsewhere. So I tried to cover not just what's on film, but what's what's in published material, either in periodicals or in some counties you can have books published by enterprising individuals.
0: Okay, and that's until about uh, 2010?
1: Yeah, thereabouts. Yeah, I mean, we, we worked very carefully. In fact, the people I was working with at New England noticed that there were a lot of these periodicals and stuff that they didn't have. And I got cooperation from the friendly folks at uh, uh, Allen County Public Library in Fort Wayne to fill in the blanks for any uh, references um, that uh, that we needed to give them an accurate you know, periodical title, volume, uh, article title, and, and so forth and so on, because Fort Wayne also has a program where you can order uh, a copy of, a, um, of an article. And it was just, the, the book was designed to make access to probate records wherever they are much easier as a guide. Um, and so that's kind of why I've got all that stuff in there. Um, and... Uh, one of the other things I wanted to mention, though, is you know the very first part of the book is all pre-1787 uh, records of the, the province of New York and, the, and so forth. After 1787, I have a county-by-county listing for probate records available for each county, both the ones that are available on film in Salt Lake City, as I said, an inventory of it, also ones that are available in books and periodicals. But the most important thing about each county page is that it gives you the at the physical street address, email address, and any websites associated with that county surrogate's office. Um, and so you can even call the surrogate's office or look on their website to see if they have the records or how to contact to get records that aren't available in Salt Lake City. And that's current as of 2011. Now, of course, phone numbers are going to change and websites are going to change. But with the Internet, you can pretty easily get in and find, um, if it has changed, what the new number is for each of these uh, counties. Um, so that's an important part of the book is both access to things in libraries and on film and how to get at the original records in the Keach County Surrogate's office.
0: Okay. All right. And I want to mention uh, the uh, New York uh, Family History research guide and gazetteer uh, mentions that this book, the New York state probate records by Gordon uh, should be on every New York researcher's bookshelf. Um, So it is an essential uh, book for New York research. Um, So we've talked about. Well, I have a funny, I have
1: a funny story about that, Jane, if you don't mind. Um, The NYGBS was out here for roots tech a couple of years ago, and I went up to their booth to renew my membership in New York society and also to buy one of these books that in you know, these new big massive guides. And I just went over to the, to the new England booth to pick up a couple of copies of my own book because I got them at a discount as an author. And, uh, I go over there and uh, the person there didn't know me. And I said, well, I, I need to renew my membership. And I understand if I renew my membership, I can get a discount on this big new New York guide. And she, Oh yes, it's a great book. This is, well, you know, I just bought this book by Remington over at new England. And, um, I'm wondering, does this book replace Remington? Well, we tell a lot about the probate records, but really, Remington, for probate records, that's the guide. (laughs) She said, okay, I'll renew my membership. And um, she said, okay, name, Gordon Remington, address. And she gets on, and she goes, wait a minute. (laughs) Basically, yeah, she had just, I wanted to hear that, you know. I mean, I hadn't been superseded, so I'm just so pleased about that. And I'm pleased for the mention in
0: in the New guide. (laughs) All right. All right. As, as I said, the the essential uh, research for a uh, guide for New York probate records. So we've talked about what's in the book. Is, is there anything that you did not include?
1: Well, you know, that's one of the questions you prepped me on and I don't I I don't think there's anything I did not include in terms of wide record groups. If you go in there almost every um, website that I mentioned in the book is still active today. Some are behind paywalls. In uh, the, the New England, uh, has some probate records on it. It's behind. It. It's their members area, and, and we've discussed this too. That New York Genealogical has uh, behind their paywall some research guides uh, written by Henry uh, Macy and Henry Hoff. Um, but basically, I tried to cover all types of records and access mate may have changed. Now, I wanted to say something about those surrogates' records. Remember I said that the county surrogate is actually an officer of the state, even though they're housed in the county, uh, county uh, office building. The state sets the rules for fees. And um, if you write to the county surrogate because you can't get the record on microfilm, they can legally charge you up to $90 to look for a packet just to look and then up to $5 a page for a certified copy. Now, if you don't specify that you don't want a certified copy, they can, and you want a certified copy, that's five. otherwise some of them charge you 50 cents or 25 cents or whatever, but that's, uh, that they can legally do that. So the optional thing for you to do is as much as possible, look to see if those counties' packets, those loose probate packets are available on microfilm or online, and some of them are, um, not every single county, but um, that's, I think, going to be changing, as we'll discuss a little bit later. But, um, uh, you know, it's just that basically um, the book, as it was published in 2011, couldn't cover everything that was going to be online because some of it's come online since then. So there could be okay. a lot of things that are available now that aren't covered in the book.
0: Okay. So then my understanding is uh, uh the Family History Library films may not include some of the probate packets that are at the surrogate's courts.
1: That's right. And you asked me that, and I said, oh, I actually had a chart that I prepared when the book was published. As of 2011, the FHL has microfilm of the probate packets for 28 of New York's 55 counties. So that's roughly half. And some of them are, uh, some of the records are more extensive than others. Some records are very, very um, nicely organized um, in counties. You know, all the surrogates' records are together by type of record or by, by the name of the person. They're all in one packet. New York County is an exception, that's New York City, um, where the filming done by the uh, um, FHL um, actually split up the records into different categories. So this is covered in the section for New York County in my book, where you have to know what type of record you're looking for to access the right microfilm at the family history library. It's a little more complicated, but it's it's navigable. You can get through it. It just won't be as easy as um, some of the other counties where you can actually just look and see the probate packets are all organized alphabetically. Uh, you know, okay. So okay. That's yeah. You know.
0: And then the uh, what would you say is uh, the latest date that uh, the Family History Library has microfilmed records from the uh, surrogates courts in New York? Like 1960s, oh, 1970s.
1: Oh, no, 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 no. Um, one of the nice things about my book is, is that it tells you if the surrogates index, which is the index to all of states in a county, has been microfilmed the surrogates indexes for most counties we do have into the 1960s and 70s. Um, But the records that were filmed generally stop in the, in the 19 teens and 1920s because at the time where they were filled, that was the mandate for filming in New York state. And this was maybe some 20, 30 years ago when they were doing all that massive filming back there. And so, But the fact that you have a surrogate's index on film and you can access that index on FamilySearch now means that if you write to um, a county surrogate in New York, you can already come prepared with the uh, name on the estate and the estate number so they can find it without too much difficulty. And in some cases when I've done that, they haven't charged the $90 fee. It's county by county basis, but sometimes if you give them as much information from the index that you can access online, they go easy on, on the fee. Other cases, not. I mean, some counties just want to make the money, but um, it's really individual. Um, so that's, that's one of the things about, um, about the surrogate's records is that uh, you can use my guide to find the surrogate's index for each county, which generally goes up to about nine, 1960s and 70s, and then the records themselves into the early 20th century.
0: Okay. All right. uh, Before we move to what's new online, is there anything else you would like to add about the book?
1: Well, I think we've uh, covered it. Yeah.
0: Okay. All right. So then at this point, I'm going to take a break. uh, And when we come back, we're going to be talking about the new online material. Um, This is the Forget-Me-Not Hour. Your ancestors want their stories to be told, and we'll be right back. Welcome back. This is the Forget-Me-Not Hour. Your ancestors want their stories to be told. We will be back on August 17th. That's the third Wednesday of the month at uh, 10 o'clock Eastern Time. Uh, We're going to be talking with Blaine Bettinger and Debbie Parker-Wayne, and our focus is going to be genetic genealogy. They are the authors of the new uh, NGS book called Genetic Genealogy in Practice, uh, which will be available uh, toward uh, the end of the month, uh, beginning of September or so. I know people are anxiously waiting to purchase this book. Um, So we're going to get a preview uh, from Blaine and Debbie and that will be in two weeks again on August 17th at 10 o'clock in the morning and then our uh, first Wednesday of the month our New York topic uh, is going to be on September 7th at three o'clock eastern time uh, in the afternoon my our uh, guest is going to be Joshua Taylor, uh, who is the uh, new president of the New York Genealogical and Biographical Society. So we're going to be talking about uh, what's new at the G&B, and we're also going to be talking about the Genealogy Roadshow. As I'm sure everybody knows, uh, Josh is one of the hosts of the Roadshow. Um, so we're, we're looking at uh, what's new with the GNB, and we'll be getting some behind-the-scenes uh, information about the Genealogy Roadshow from uh, Josh Taylor. Uh, that's at a, a different time than usual, 3 o'clock uh, Eastern time on September 7th. And then uh, coming up for me, if you're in uh, western New York, uh, I'm going to be speaking at the Women's Rights National Historical Park on Friday, August 26th. Uh, they are celebrating Equality Uh, Day, Women's Equality Day, and I'm going to be uh, giving my talk, Finding American Women's Voices Through the Centuries. Um, So come on out if you're in Western New York uh, at Seneca Falls. And then uh, a plugging for the New York State Family History Conference, uh, which is going to be coming up in September, uh, the 15th through the 17th, will be in Syracuse. And I will be giving two talks, uh, one on vital records and then one on Palatine uh, tenants in the Hudson Valley. Um, We are uh, collaborating with the state historians, so they're going to be giving talks as well, and it's just going to be a wonderful conference uh, for both history and genealogy, which I think cannot be separated. Um, So please come on out uh, to Syracuse September 15th through the 17th, and you can uh, register online uh, if you search for New York State Family History Conference. If you have any questions for upcoming guests, uh, please email me, uh, and you can find my email address at janeewilcox.com. So uh, today we are talking about uh, probate records with Gordon Remington, and so Gordon, when we uh, when I first contacted you, you you said that there are a lot of things that are new uh, since the book came out in 2011 and you wanted to uh, update everybody about what's happening online. So uh, how would you like to start with that?
1: Well, let me start with, um, as we were going, as, as New England and I were going to press uh, in uh, the fall of 20, uh, 2010, I think it was, um, we learned serendipitously that New York State had now given mandate to the surrogates courts in each county to uh, image their pre-1970 records. My understanding was that the post-1970, are imaged as a matter of course, the older records are being imaged. We found that out because one of the, one of the blind spots in the family history collection, family history library's collection, is we have no original Suffolk County, it's on Long Island, no original Suffolk County probate records. In the, in the 19th century period. So I made inquiry at the Family History Library, and they made inquiry to their, you know, their filming agenda people, and they came back and said, well, Suffolk told us that they're going to be doing their own because of this new program, so we don't need to go in there and then do the filming and so forth. Well, that's when I became aware of it, and since then um, I've actually had the pleasure of using the online uh, surrogate's records for the 5th Judicial District of New York, which is uh, Herkimer, Jefferson, Lewis, Oneida, Onondaga, and Oswego counties. And um, the way you get there um, is newyorkcourts.gov, and then go to the different districts in which you're interested and see if the surrogate's records have been imaged for that district. Now, um, not all of them have been done. And my experience with this website uh, that covers the Fifth Judicial District is um, it covers every type of probate record, all of the loose papers and everything. That's what I was interested in, the probate petitions and so forth. It's free registration, um, but once you get into it, at least my experience was is that it's kind of difficult to navigate. But there is a help desk you can call it, to navigate it. But if you're really in a pinch in those counties, that's a great reference to have. I don't know how many other counties have this same system. But the best um the best thing to do is with the information in my book as to the county circuits, phone numbers and email addresses, is call them and see if their records have been imaged online. Um I don't know how complete it is for the whole state, but uh that's one place where it's fairly complete.
0: Okay, so so for the let's focus in on the fifth judicial district. Have right. all of the counties that you mentioned uh, been digitized, and are they all complete uh, on the, for the fifth judicial district?
1: Well, I didn't look at. I was interested in Lewis County, which is where I was working, and so I looked at that, and that was pretty complete. I did not take the time to go into the other counties, but okay. um, it could be that it's ongoing but at least at the time I was looking, I found everything I needed for Lewis County online.
0: Okay. And I I will add uh, to that. I uh, have a colleague who is a researcher uh, in Onondaga County and Onondaga has not uh, put complete records for that period. So that's why I was asking about that. Um, And then, and then do you know, are are other counties uh, going to follow the same organization like like doing it by judicial district or are they fending for themselves you know if that is part of the law
1: my my last understanding is that each county you know could do it themselves and some of them would put them online and others would be online at the county you'd have to go in and use their their uh, computers to access the images online rather than going through papers so i think it varies by county um,
0: okay and
1: I don't know of any inventory, uh, and at least I don't have it in my book because it was just starting back of uh, what's been done for each county. I think it, would be, it probably varies greatly as far as the amount of records actually imaged yet because some counties are larger than others. and uh, okay. Some of these counties right. in so northern I, New York are easier to do Yeah.
0: All right. And so as you suggested, call the individual surrogates court to see what's what with their digitization.
1: Right. Right. Okay. Now, the, the other two online sources that came about um, after the book was published was the imaging of uh, New York uh, probate records on FamilySearch, which is essentially they imaged their microfilm collection. So basically what's listed in the FHL catalog as to what records they have is what's on the images on FamilySearch.org. Um, I don't think they've done much more f- actual imaging or filming since that time since the current collection was put in the catalog. So basically, my book comes in valuable there in that it tells you what's available. so when you go hunting on family search, you can navigate through their system to find the records that you want. Now the, the family search system, um, it, it does not have an in, every name index to each county, it'll have the surrogates index like you'd have on microfilm, but then it's up to you to take the information from there to go to the individual volume. So it's, it's somewhat cumbersome in that, you know, you have to wait for the page to load. And then if you find a page number and index, it doesn't always match the image number on family search. So basically the family search uh, probate records online are, are basically images of what's at the library on microfilm. Now, Ancestry, however, has imaged pretty much the same group of records in their collection under New York, uh, under the probate records for New York, and they actually have gone in and indexed the names in the individual records, which is great because if you're not sure if your ancestor had a will or was, you might find mention of him or her in somebody else's will, perhaps a relative, by putting in their name into the general search index for the probate records on Ancestry. So in other words, the Ancestry records are comprehensive and they're indexed. And the family search records are comprehensive for the collection, but not easily indexed. Um, It's just a matter of choice of how you like to do your research. I usually toggle between the two because I'm out, you know, as a long season genealogist, I'm always suspicious of anything that says it's indexed totally. Sometimes I just have to double check myself, but that's just me, <laughs> you know. Um, and so they're they're both great sources, and they they actually um, you know help you avoid having to write to the service, um office in the counties and paying a higher fee. Now both of those have come online since. In fact, they were just finishing them, or, or you know, we weren't even aware of them. New England and I until we went to press, and the guy had New England said. We'll just put in a note, if you look in the introduction to the New York Probate Records Guide, it actually tells you that this is coming up and we just did not have the time or the ability to include all of that information. Yeah. So basically the Probate Records book is static as of 2010, telling you what's available out there generally and specifically. As for the online stuff, there's new stuff being put up every day and you just have to you know, um, be aware of it. And mostly it's Stuff that's online, and you just have to be aware of things added to it, uh, the expansions of collections and things. So,
0: okay, well, and right. some counties
1: don't want their, their films to be their records to be microfilm
0: because it cuts them out of the ninety dollar seats. So, <laughs> okay, to be aware of that as well. You you mentioned that yeah. American Ancestors uh, New England ha- also has some probate New York probate.
1: Yes, they do. And I think this is behind their paywall. There was a man named William Erdely, I think I'm pronouncing it correctly, who did a lot of probate abstracts. He published some uh, typescripts under the auspices of NYGPS back in the early 1900s. But he also visited every county, it appears, in upstate New York in the course of his lifetime and kept notebooks of abstracts of all the probate records from these counties. And he died, and his records were discovered in, I think it was Brooklyn Historical. And um, New England was made aware of their existence there. They came down and imaged them and put them on their um, on their website as New York Crowley Records. I believe it's uh, 1835 is the cutoff date for those records. And they've also got an every name index for those records uh, on the New England the American Ancestors website. And I found things when that first came out, I found things because it's, it's not just indexing the testators and the administrations. It's indexing the people named in them, you know, so relatives and neighbors and so forth and individual witnesses and things. So that's a, that's a, a good source for up through 1835. And that's important for one county in particular. Sullivan County had a fire in its courthouse in 1909 and all pre-1909 probate records were destroyed. Land records survived, but the probate records for Sullivan County um, are gone prior to 1909. But William Erdley had visited Sullivan County before 1909 and abstracted probate records for Sullivan up through 1835. So records that are gone at the county courthouse are in this collection Um, that's on the New England website.
0: Okay, so the early collection cover spans like 1787. Would you say to the 1835? So. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. Okay, very good. Is, is there anything else uh, that you'd like to add about uh, digital records?
1: Well, just that um, you know, and this is again where my book might come in handy. Is that it's one thing to look at a digital record online. And it's another thing to understand what it's telling you. So um, it's just like any record that you look at on microfilm or even in the original, you've got to be able to interpret the record properly. So my book does some of that explanation of what the court process was, what the record, you know, especially the probate petition, it tells you exactly what was required in the probate petition. Uh, Let me give you an example is that if somebody died and they had grandchildren, um, or they had children, and the children had died. The grandchildren would be the heirs. So see, it, it, it might be that a probate petition will give you the grandchildren of the, of the, of the decedent if a child had died. And if the person had no children, their heirs at law would be brothers and sisters, nieces and nephews, and so forth. And unless you understand the scope of what you're looking at, you may not know whether you need to look for, uh, further or to think your, your job is done. Um, so, again, I would caution any genealogist when they're, they're looking at a record uh, to evaluate that record just as if it were on microfilm. Just because it's on the Internet doesn't mean um, it's an accurate image of what's in the record, but you need to understand what that record's telling you.
0: Okay, very good. And then, are there? You've been talking about how your book uh, complements uh, the online sources. Is there any anything else that you'd like to add? How we can best use the book uh, with what's available online?
1: Well, I think my reference to published material is important because, you know, there are some records that people abstracted back. Let's say. Central New York and their Tree Talks magazine back in the 60s um, that people may not think to look for, and then they find this record in, in, in Tree Talks, and it gives an abstract of something, and then they can go to the original. I'll give you an example there is Dower Records in New York. Now, Dower is when, when somebody died in New York, and this was prior, I think it was done away with in the 1860s, but if somebody died, their spouse and usually if a man died, his widow had a, what was called a dower right to one-third of his estate. And if somebody died intestate, it was the same thing. And so dower records were kept in a number of different counts where the widow would come forward, and they would give her her, wi- her widow's thirds. And in the same record, all the other heirs would be listed, all the children, were immediate heirs of law. So the, the thirds would be taken out and then the rest of it would be divided among the surviving children. And sometimes those children are listed in the Dower records. Now, we had somebody call the Family History Library when my book first came out, said um, they couldn't find Dower records in the Family History Library catalog. Well, that's because they did not, they were looking for Dower records by name. They did not go to the county and then surrogates records and types of records. And that's where, if you look in my book, for any particular county, and it tells you what's available at the Family History Library, it'll say Dower Records, um, which means that there are Dower Records in that county, but then you have to find them in the catalog. It's not always that exact name. Uh, There are other records, too, um, accounts and sale receipts and inventories. Another, Another record is the actual minutes of the surrogate's court, which is a court like any other court. And there you sometimes find disputes over estates, which can go... You know, can go for a number of years based on. I think I had one where um, a man had married twice, and the children from the first marriage were objecting to how much of the estate the second wife got, you know, when he died. And so there was this big fight between the the children of the first family and the second wife, you know, and so it was um, very interesting, and it can also shed some light on your ancestors' um, lives and what they're involved in more than the genealogy part of it. You know, what was what was wrong that this family would dispute this and things? I mean, we mentioned earlier that the, the surrogate's petitioner might say went west and it was never heard from again. And then you mentioned an article where somebody did go west, and they actually, you know, could have been counted, but they weren't. Um, all sorts of stories can be told out of these probate records of the way people divided up their estates, what was left to whom. And it's just a, a fascinating study to get into as far as your ancestors' lives in respect to how they felt about their property.
0: Very good. So uh, is there anything else you'd like to add before uh, we move on to our last questions for the show?
1: Um, Well, I can't think of any right off. Uh, This obviously took up a long time, my wife, writing this, uh, both editions. And so um, I'm glad that it's done. Um, I don't think I'll be doing another edition uh with all the stuff coming online i'm not sure if that would be necessary uh I just can't kind of wait and see thing you know so we'll see
0: all right and and even with things coming online, the book is still vital uh, for absolutely vital still vital uh, so, as I,
1: long as what's online reflects the family history life have, so.
0: yes <laughs> yes well, and then your published material as well the, the- the list of that is is uh vital too oh yes uh-huh. Yeah. So, so uh, as I ask all of my guests, what's your own ancestry?
1: Well, my dad was from Rochester, New York, and my mom was from St. Louis. They met in Colorado after the Second World War, and um, so I have both northeastern and southern ancestry. Southern through my mother, and northeastern through my dad. But my mother's father was all New England ancestry, so it turns out my parents are ninth cousins twice removed <laughs> through a New England family. And on the 25th wedding anniversary, I gave them a chart. They had no idea. I gave them a chart showing how they were related, and they looked at the chart. They looked at me, and they looked at each other again, and said, "Cousins, huh?" And they looked at me and said, "Yeah, it figures." <laughs> so, <laughs> but it's it's mostly I have mostly American ancestry. My last immigrant was my great grandfather, who came directly from England. This is on my my father's mother's side. Uh, in the 1880s and and then moved into Maryland. But I've got New England, uh, New Jersey, early Dutch, New York. I even have an ancestor that was on an island off the coast of Brazil while the Dutch tried to settle there and then got pushed back up to Amsterdam. So I can't claim I'm Brazilian, but I had somebody who lived there in the 1600s. Um, And then my southern ancestry is mostly uh, Tennessee, North Carolina, Virginia, and Kentucky. That was the most challenging for me to work on because in the New York, and the Rochester New York Public Library didn't have any stuff for those states, and there was no microfilm, and there was no you know I had to had to write to people to get, find out about my Kentucky ancestors.
0: Yeah, and in the days of writing, so is there an yes, ancestor? Oh yes. yeah. Is there an ancestor who's called out to you?
1: It's actually um, Thomas and Olive Remington were my ancestors from Vermont who moved to Henrietta in Monroe County, New York, that's just south of Rochester, in 1817, so nearly 200 years ago. That was um, the year after the year without summer. Now, do you know what the year without summer was? I'm not sure everybody does.
0: I I Um, do because I have ancestors in Vermont during that time, but please tell us.
1: Okay. All right, so in 1815, a volcano in Indonesia called Mount Tambora exploded and spread ash all through the atmosphere so that by 1860, the atmosphere was so just filled with ash that it froze in New England in June. And Vermont, uh, living in Vermont, and eking out a, a living from the soil there was difficult as it was, and so Thomas and Olive Remington picked up with their nine children and moved from Vermont to western New York in 1817. He already had a brother in uh, Ontario County in Canandaigua. But my, my project right now, which I started a long time ago, um, is to trace their descendants at every line for four generations. So that would be down to my great-grandfather. It also includes the artist Frederick Remington, the western artist Frederick Remington. who's a second cousin of my great-grandfather. And, uh, so this is my, my project I'm working on now. Of course, I I laid it down at one point and I picked it up again. And there's so much more that I can do with resources available now and actually surrogates records, New York probate records play a great deal in that because I've got some branches of their, their descendants who I couldn't find anything about. And I found a probate petition for one of these branches that said, which ones did go West. And now I can, you know, trace them out. Um, so this is my big project right now, and I, don't, I think I sent you a, um, an image of a, of a courier lithograph, um, which was what they used to do. You know, this was courier before it was courier and eyes. They published these memorial pages, and there's a guy over a tombstone with a weeping willow, and in the tombstone, the image of the tombstone, somebody has written in the death dates for all the family members of that family. And that's Thomas Remington, his wife, Olive, and their son, Luther, uh, written on that tombstone in hand of an otherwise beautiful lithograph print. And that's kind of, you know, the picture that just keeps me going of tracing their descendants. That's,
0: that's neat. So do you, do you actually have the lithograph in your possession, or is it, uh, is it somewhere you, else? Yes,
1: I do. Yes, I do. Yes, yes. It's oh, a, very in nice. Protective custody. Yes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. All right. Uh, so, Gordon, thank you so much for joining us. This has been so informative, and uh, uh, I, I hope people will take advantage of the book. Uh, order it and uh, have fun with it.
1: And you can probably find it in a lot of major libraries too. So.
0: Yes. All right. All right. So, thank you.
1: Thank you very much, Jane.
0: All right, this is the Forget-Me-Not Hour. Your ancestors want their stories to be told. Have a good day.